got a question for you this morning. How many of you, raise your hands if you would, how many of you come originally from a Catholic background? Would you raise your hands? There's a few of you. I'll tell you one thing um, that I can say this with confidence, that oh, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and it would, I can say with confidence that we could fill this room with the people that became part of my church ultimately over the years that were a part of the Catholic religion. And when I ask them why, they usually give lots of, why they left the Catholic Church, they'll give me reasons like, well, um, it was a perceived lack of uh, biblical teaching, or some might say it was because of a lack of grace offered during a very difficult time in life. But uh, probably the thing that I heard most, that I have heard most over the years, the biggest complaint is the way the Catholic Church um, deals with the sacrament of communion, specifically the, the fact that they practice close communion. Now those of you that aren't Catholic, close communion basically means that if you're not Catholic, you can't have communion, all right? There are many people who find that practice offensively exclusive, and that it just bothers them to no end. Now, I'm going to stop right there for just a second because I don't want to give you the impression that my purpose this morning is to bad mouth the Catholic because that is not my purpose at all. In fact, um, I want you to know that I'm, my purpose is kind of the exact opposite of that. This morning as we continue our, um, our sermon series entitled The One, Two, Threes of PBC, which is, which is intended to help us explore the core beliefs of our church, uh, as you might have guessed, we're going to be looking at what we believe about the sacrament of communion. And um, it may surprise you that the, the things that I share with you today um, about communion, the fact of the matter is that the Catholics probably get it more right than the rest of us do. I may have piqued your interest, I hope I have. And if so, I invite you to delve in with me as we look at the deeper. We're going to start with a very simple question. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. That's very religious language, isn't it? So what does it really mean? Basically what it means is that as Christians, if you've accepted Jesus Christ in your heart as Lord and Savior, as Christians, we are called to participate or to do certain things to remind us that God is alive and active in our lives today. Um, and we believe in two sacraments, two things. We are called to do two things that remind us of the fact that God is alive and active in our world today. One is baptism, which we're going to talk about more next week, more in depth next week. And the other is the sacrament of communion. Now, you all know where we got the, the whole idea to do the sacrament of communion, right? It was on... Monday, Thursday, or the night before Jesus was uh, to be crucified, he gathered with his disciples. And this is found in Luke, various places in the Bible, but in Luke chapter 20, verses 19 uh, through 20. Um, Luke chapter 22, 19. By the way, last week I spent the whole sermon giving you the wrong address to my, to my, uh, my scripture passage last week. For those of you that caught me on that, good job. We should be 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, not 1 Timothy. Anyway, this is Luke 22, 19 through 20. And it says this, very familiar passage. It says, um, 
On that night that Jesus gathered with his disciples, he took the bread, he lifted it to God, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he said, Take, for this is my body broken for you. And then likewise, after the meal, he took the, the cup, he lifted it up to God, he blessed it, and then he said, this is the cup of a new covenant, my blood shed for you. Now you all know that. You've been hearing pastors, every time you have communion, you've been hearing pastors quote that, that passage your whole lives, right? So it's very familiar, but what you may not be aware of is that within this passage there are uh, some things, some words that have proven very controversial over the years. Specifically, when Jesus said, this is my body broken for you, and this is my blood broken, uh, shed for you. You see, the Catholics take that very seriously and very literally. They believe that when the priest prays over the elements of communion, that these, the bread and the wine, they use wine, will, will literally transform into the body and the blood of Christ. And they believe that if you don't believe that, that you are dishonoring Jesus. In fact, they believe that if you don't believe that, um, you should take communion, at least not with them. That's the part that we find so uh, offensive, right? Um, Non-Catholic Christians, like you and me, most of us, we don't take all of that so literally. Most of us um, think of it more of a symbol. That it is a symbol to remind us, right? To remind us what Jesus did for us. And there might be some others among us that, that think, well, maybe it's more than just a symbol, but it's, way, it's, it's asking way too much to uh, ask me to believe that that literally transforms into the body and the blood of Christ. This is what's going to surprise you. That's the part that I think the Catholics get right and where we non-Catholics have veered off the road. Now don't get me wrong, I understand why Kind of objectively and literally, it's so hard to get your minds around the idea that the, the bread and the juice are literally transformed into the body of the blood of Christ. I get that. I really do. Um, but this is what happens. This is what we've done. Most of us non-Catholic Christians. Because most of us perceive the sacrament of communion just as a symbol. We've kind of ripped the awe and the wonder out of the sacrament. That God intended it to be for us. In fact, God's intention of this awe and wonder was so important that we get it that over the centuries he has done things not so subtle things to remind us of the all of the one give you an example back in 750 AD none of you were alive back then right <laughs> back in 750 AD in the Italian city of Lanciano I think I'm saying that right um, there was a priest 
who was struggling with all this that we've been talking about today. The, the, the fact that um, as Catholics, they believe that um, the elements of communion literally transform into the body and blood of Christ. He, he was doubting all of that, just like you and I might. Well, one day as he was saying Mass, um, God did a miracle. Right there before his very eyes, right there before the eyes of all the people who had gathered there for Mass, the elements of communion literally transformed into what appeared to be flesh and blood. That's, not, that's amazing, isn't it? But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, come on, dude. That was 1,300 years ago. There's no way to prove that. It's probably just some story that somebody came up with to help the Catholics believe what they say they believe. Right? Well, what if I were to tell you that if you were to go to Lanciano, Italy today, to that same church that still exists, what if I were to tell you that there's something else that still exists in that same church in Lanciano, Italy today? What if I were to tell you that that miracle is perfectly preserved in that church still, 1,300 years later. The transformed elements of communion, which appear to be the body, body, human tissue and blood, it still exists in Lanciano, Italy, 1,300 years later, without impression. Well, what about this? Maybe it was a miracle, but what was it? So they invited a group of scientists to come and take tissue samples of this supposed miracle. You know what they discovered? 1971. They discovered that this miracle, that it literally was human flesh. Not just human flesh, that it was actually heart tissue from a human being. You want to get a little more specific? It was AB negative blood of someone with Middle Eastern descent. Google it. It's called the Lanziano Miracle. What if I were to tell you that over the course of the centuries, there have been over 130 communion miracles authenticated? I just said, I said, well, what is he trying to say? This is what I'm trying to say. First, let me put your heart at ease. Uh, what does this mean for us here at Prairie Bible Church? The first thing I want you to know is that everybody is welcome at the Lord's table in our church. Everybody. Because we recognize that everybody's in a different place on their journey with Christ. Some things are easier or uh, we, some of us have had experiences that allow us to believe things that others may not believe right now. That's okay. The only thing that is really required for you to be uh, invited to the sacrament is that it's your heart's desire to know this Jesus that we've been talking about. To be on the journey. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter whether you're a member of this church or a member of any church. All the, the only thing that matters is that your heart's desire to know this Jesus, this miraculous, loving, life-giving Jesus that we've been talking about. And 
And the only one that gets to decide that is you. But I'm going to suggest that you do yourself a favor today. Actually, I'm going to suggest that you do yourself a favor every time you receive communion from this big book. By faith, I would encourage you to believe that the sacrament that God has blessed us with is calling you to embrace the truth that, that Jesus is alive and is, is moving in powerful, mystical, and profound ways that you will never be able to get your mind around. And it's only when you can embrace the power and the mysticism and the, and the, and the how profound that is that this reminder will be all that it is meant to be for you. But you get to decide. It was 2,000 years ago. And there were literally tens of thousands of Jewish pilgrims that had gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover, right? Now, what was the Passover? It was a week-long celebration where the Jews would, if they could, and all Jews tried to eat, no matter where they lived in the world, at least once in their life, they tried to make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem where they would celebrate and remember the Passover together. And as part of this Passover, they would celebrate um, what was known as the Seder meal, and the Seder meal was a specific um, set of uh, things that they would eat and each piece of it or drink and each piece of it was a reminder of something that God had done and that God was going to do moving forward in their lives. Well, it was on that night that Jesus gathered with his closest friends because he was the rabbi, he was the one who was leading them through the Seder meal liturgy. He broke from their tradition. And every one of them knew that he was breaking from the tradition because they, just like you and I, had been doing it for so long, they could have done it themselves. They knew exactly how it was supposed to go. So when he didn't follow the script, they said, whoa, wait a minute, something's happened. And this is where he broke free. He took the bread that was there as part of the Seder meal. Remember what it said? He lifted it to God, he blessed it, or he gave thanks for it. And then he broke it. And what did he say? Take me, for this is my body. You'll notice he did not say, oh, this is a symbol of my body. He could have. He said, this is my body. He was prophesying, remember? Because they didn't know yet what was going to happen. That he was going to be beaten, whipped, hung on a cross, stabbed with a spear. This is my body. Broken feet. Every time you eat from the bread, remember. Remember what has been done to you. Why? Because I love Remember. After the meal, you'll remember it says he took the cup. 
He lifted it to God. He blessed it. He thanked God for it. And he turned to his friends and he said, Take and drink, for this is the cup of a new covenant. My blood shed for you. Every time you drink from the cup, remember. He wanted us to remember that the reason why he shed his blood it was only through his shed blood that we could be washed from our sinfulness. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see the things that we've done wrong because prior to that, that's all he could see because God is perfect. But from that moment on, because of the shed blood of Christ, when God looks at you, he sees, oh, that's Judy. I, she's beautiful. Remember. stewards forward and as they're coming forward I'll give you a little a few instructions on how we're going to receive communion today. You've already heard who's welcome that all of your welcome. And as you come forward we're going to invite you to come forward. We're just going to have some nice music playing in the background. But we're going to invite you when you're ready. No one will dismiss you. Just when you're ready come by the center aisle. And as you come forward we'll give you a piece of bread and a little cup with juice in it. And we're going to say this is the body and blood of Christ given for you. When you receive these elements today, my hope, my prayer is that you will stop and consider the awe and the wonder of the moment. That you will open your heart up by faith to what God has done and who Jesus is. It may change your life. It might be the first time in your life that you have actually considered the miracle that God has given. Once you've received the elements, you'll notice at the end of the first row of chairs here, there's little baskets. You can leave your cups there in the baskets. And, uh, as we've said many times in the past, if you want to take it home as a little souvenir, go for it. But um, know that. You can spend as much time up here, once you receive the elements of communion, you can spend as much time up here in prayer as you'd like. And when you're ready, please return your seats by the sidelines. So, my friends, as the music begins, um, know that you're invited to participate this morning. 